Hello and welcome to the Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. This week, we've convened a special roundtable panel to discuss the more than 650 million US dollars invested by UBS clients into MPM Capital's second oncology impact fund as well as hearing about how this investment, which represents more than 75% of the total raise for the fund, will help fight cancer and other diseases, we'll also be exploring the ways in which such a vehicle can help to, well, can help to reimagine the very power of investment. MPM's Oncology Impact Fund 2, which follows the record-setting success of the first UBS Oncology Impact Fund, which we covered on this show way back in 2016, is an impact investing initiative that invests in private and public companies developing innovative treatments for cancer. As an impact investment, it will aim to generate a compelling financial return for investors, of course, as well as positive long-term impact on patients' lives. Well, let's introduce today's panel, who will be unpacking this for us in more detail. They are Antonia Sarieska, Impact Investing Strategist at UBS Global Wealth Management, Christiana Barden, Co-Managing Director at MPM's Bioimpact Capital, and Ansbert Gadeker, who, with Chris, is co-managing the OIF2 fund. Antonia, Christiana, Ansbert, welcome to the programme, all of you. We talked on this programme about the OIF, the first one, back in 2016. Antonia, let me come to you first of all, and let's start, before we get into the detail of the fund, by talking a bit about impact investing. We know this has grown so rapidly in recent years. Before we drill down in more detail then, give us a little bit of, a, of background, of a summary about where the industry is right now. Intentional impact investing, which is the one that we're talking about tonight, measuring environmental and social impact in addition to competitive financial returns, actually represents a very rapidly growing portion of sustainable investing universe. In our view, investors will increasingly shift their attention and their portfolios towards the real world impact of their investments. And this is supported by a lot of the effort coming from the financial industry, from wealth managers and asset managers to recognize the role that we can play in supporting investors to drive that impact with their capital. So overall, it's a fast growing area. We've seen in recent years an emergence of credible impact investing strategies, both in private and in public markets. And we're very excited to see that continue to grow. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess before we talk in more detail with you and with our friends from MPM about the Oncology Impact Fund too, just remind us about that the, the success of the first iteration, I guess. We wouldn't perhaps be here were it not for that, of course. Uh, we covered it, as I mentioned, five years ago. Remind us about, well, just about the what a notable success that was. Well, the Oncology Impact Fund, indeed, it was back in 2016, and it was a unique collaboration that was focused on transitional cancer research. And we recognize that cancer, unfortunately, continues to be a leading cause of death around the world and has a huge impact on families and individuals. And, and we believe early stage cancer research is actually critical to developing new drugs and improving patient outcomes, which is where private capital financing can actually be more catalytic in that early stage development. So back with, with the Oncology Fund One, the private capital contribution was actually directed twofold. On one hand, our private clients invested a record $470 million in early stage cancer treatment and therefore they enabled innovation and acceleration of the development of breakthrough therapies. Really, this is the essence of impact investing basically coming to its best. 
And then in addition, a portion of the fund performance fees and the royalty of successful drug sales was granted to support academic research and access to cancer care in the developing world. And that was done through the UBS Optimus Foundation and the American Association for Cancer Research. So basically really showing how, you know, it's a great example of how strategic philanthropy can really complement the efforts we have in impact investing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just before we we bring in our friends from NPM, just bring us then a bit more up to speed and up to date, Antonio. You know, where are we at now? Uh, Oncology Impact Fund 2, of course, this big announcement just earlier th- this month. What's the what's the kind of the latest achievement? Talk to us about where, where we're at and what the ambitions are here. Uh, yes, well, the second Oncology Impact Fund just this year builds on our mission to continue to contribute to this kind of social impact and health and well-being outcomes. And our private investors contributed another record-breaking capital raise of $650 million uh, towards the second fund. And as with the previous installment, there is a philanthropic element of the back of the investment performance. So again, impact investing and philanthropic capital coming together in this kind of transformational solution. In our view, an an aging population will see global cancer incidents continue to rise in the coming years, and that drives really this pressing need to develop breakthrough therapies. So oncology continues to be one of the most robust areas of drug development, and cancer drugs today, in our view, make nearly 40% of the global pharma pipeline. So that makes oncology and early-stage research in particular a very impactful, but also a fast-growing investment opportunity for private investors. Well, we're going to talk more about the fund, of course, in just a moment. But let me bring you in here at this point, Ansper. And I guess, look, lots of our listeners they they may know MPM. It's it's a world leader, a world leading biotech investment firm. But maybe they don't know, you know, the, the sort of the nuts and bolts of this. How does MPM actually go about creating and investing in companies that are addressing well exactly the kind of profound challenges that Antonio has been talking about, uh, meeting these previously unmet medical needs? How does it actually? How does it actually? work. Yeah, thank you for giving me an opportunity to uh, try to explain it. So first of all, we need to choose the areas that we invest in. And there I would say the overarching goal is to find the intersection of major uh, medical needs, very serious medical needs that are not being addressed by current therapies, and breakthroughs in science that give us new tools and uh, opportunities to, to address those needs. And then most of what we do is really building companies from scratch. And that's sort of early stage venture capital. Now, there are three items that need to come together. It's technologies, people, and capital. And let me address them one by one and how we are dealing with it. First, technologies. Many of the technologies come out of academic centers. And uh, our headquarters in Boston Uh, We not only have Harvard and MIT co-located with us, but also some of the best hospitals like the Mass General Hospital and a number of other universities. I would say if one in the US uh, would pinpoint one academic center, it would probably be Boston. So we work very closely with these centers. I would say we cover the rest of, of the US and the world as well, but locally is obviously most helpful. And we look for licenses for the most promising uh, technologies. And that's uh, that's a strength of ours that we have been doing now for nearly 30 years. So once we, we find and license uh, top technologies, you really need to have the people to build companies. We have an internal team of entrepreneurs uh, who work with us full time 
who all have many, many years of highly, highly successful experience in our industry, most in research, but also some in development, in intellectual property and uh, commercialization. And it's really that team of people that allows us to start companies quickly. Then later on, you need to have access to a talent pool. And that I would say is also the largest in Boston. Over the last years, many, uh, if not most of the large pharmaceutical companies uh, brought their research to Boston. Historically, it was in New Jersey, but it really moved to Boston. And that's a great pool. Uh, where you can hire people that got uh, trained well, but are then more interested to uh, join a startup company. And the third area is capital. And uh, here that's obviously also where OAF2 comes, comes in. Uh, we invest OAF2 with our other venture capital fund at MPM. And that allows us with this pooled capital to be one of the large investors in town it gives us the chance to be a really strong lead investor and to get companies started and then later on put a syndicate together that involves other firms as well. Can you talk to us a bit more about then the impact of the Oncology Impact Fund too? And I guess in a sense reflect also on the ongoing impact of the first iteration. What are the the sort of ambitions here, the aspirations? Presumably this is not just about driving advances in oncology, but across a, a much wider spectrum of applications. Can you talk about that for us? If we talk about the areas where we uh, build new companies and develop products, in the first fund, it was all focused on oncology, which made sense because it's the biggest uh, medical need that can be addressed with current technologies and it's the fastest growing market, et cetera, et cetera. So in the second fund, we decided to uh, broaden the scope a little bit and to include new technologies and that's uh, particularly therapy, gene therapy and now also RNA medicines and uh, cover those not only in oncology but more broadly in, in other areas as well. And I would say between uh, covering oncology as the largest therapeutic area plus these three uh, new technologies, we probably cover, I would say, 70 to 80% of all interesting uh, biotechnology companies. The, the reason why these new technologies are so exciting is twofold. One, it allows us to address some medical needs that uh, could not be addressed with the conventional therapies of, of small molecules and proteins. An example would be uh, regenerative medicine where cell therapy can make a big difference. So it really allows to cover areas that were not addressed well before. The second reason is a financial one, and that's these new technologies are not a strength of large pharmaceutical companies. So large pharmaceutical companies have to buy into these technologies through strategic relationships and ultimately M&A. And that is always one of the success factors for our funds. In fact, about 50% of our companies go public, but the other 50% are typically acquired by large pharmaceutical companies. So these new areas have a big advantage. I'd maybe just like to bring Christiana in for a, for a moment, because it, it's, it's interesting, Christiana, I've, I saw you talked about the the twofold mission with uh, OIF2. Can you explain to us what, what that duality actually is, what that is? 
So yeah, Tom, we're very interested in amplifying the impact that we create in this fund. Uh, the first impact, of course, is just by nature of the fundamental work that we do, which is creating transformative therapies for patients in oncology, cell, gene therapy, and RNA therapies. But as well, what we wanted to do was to amplify that by expanding the impact to include increasing access to patients in third world countries, as well as by funding next generation research. Both of these components are important to the sustainability of the industry over the long run. And so we wanted to make sure to incorporate that into our investment vision and fund vision. Now, first of all, we want to do that most importantly without compromising the financial integrity of the vehicle. So how we did that was to fund those philanthropic components through both a portion of the management's performance fee, as well as a royalty that's assessed on the new drugs that we create within our portfolio companies. We're hoping that if we can create some important drugs in the future that go on to be commercially successful, that that'll go back to feed into enabling cancer care access as well as the next generation of research. One of the most significant drugs we ever created was a drug called Sovaldi for the treatment of hepatitis C. That sold over $12 billion in its first calendar year of sales. So if we can create anything like that in terms of the impact on patients and commercial success, that would go a long way towards transforming this vision of patient access and next generation research alongside of the drugs we fundamentally create. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. And I, I did want to ask you a bit more to sort of drill down into that point about where we are at in challenging this idea that, you know, doing good will impact on returns or will impact value creation. Because it seems from what you're saying that not just, I guess, with this project, but with your work more broadly at BioImpact Capital, that it's not overstating it. You, you just use that word transformation again. There is a transformative power, right, to this approach and to this investment model? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we don't want people to think of this vehicle as philanthropy because it's not. It is an investment vehicle. And in fact, the first fund, you know, our private venture portion, for example, was top quartile amongst other private venture investment vehicles. So the performance has been outstanding. Investors don't need to pick either or. They can have their cake and eat it too in terms of doing good and doing well financially at the same time. Well, yeah, Antonia, perhaps I can bring you back in here. And to that point, from the UBS perspective, does this whole project with all of these, this enormous potential uh, that the guys have been talking about, does that demonstrate how to, I don't know, almost reimagine the power of investing? I mean, presumably this kind of project, this approach more broadly does fit in with a number of UBS's longer term goals. Yes, indeed, and fully agree with Christiana there. You can have the cake and eat it too um, in impact investing. And UBS has been active in impact investing for a good part of a decade. And we recognize that, you know, being the world's largest wealth manager, we have a certain responsibility and a role to play in helping investors actually contribute to sustainable development, in helping them align their portfolios to what they most care about. So Throughout the years, we've kind of rallied our network of partners around impactful ideas, and we've turned passion, purpose, investment research, portfolio management, you name it, into actual social impact, and we're very proud of that. You might recall back in 2017, we actually made a public commitment out there to raise $5 billion in impact investments within five years, and we managed to achieve that goal a year early. At the end of 2020, we were already at $7 billion. So that kind of speaks to the commitment of the firm, but most importantly, it speaks to the commitment of our clients, of private investors around the world to use their wealth to power exactly that positive transformation that we're talking about. So we 
plan to continue delivering on that mission. I think this really captures the reimagining the power of investment part of our purpose. Yeah, and I think that's hugely powerful, this idea that there's an alignment here, not just with the sort of corporate world view, but also with those investment goals of UBS clients all around the world. And I, I did want to ask a little bit about the buy-in from all stakeholders here. And Ansbert, perhaps I can put this to you. When you are in the business of delivering the kinds of innovation you've already talked about, breakthrough treatments, new therapeutics... These things are pretty high stakes and presumably they're, they're not easy. They're also not cheap to achieve. Is it sometimes a challenge to, to bring all the necessary stakeholders along? Or do you feel that we're at a bit of an inflection point, I don't know now, where actually everyone is, is fully along for the ride? What's your experience, Hansbert? Well, it's definitely a challenge. It's not an easy business and the hurdles for entry are, are high. And there are, in fact, uh, probably only half a dozen firms worldwide that do really a great job repeatedly in the in building companies uh, in the most most successful or most uh, competitive areas. The one change we have seen really over the last few years is uh, a broader interest by the public markets. We had the longest IPO window in history. 20, 30 years ago, an IPO window typically lasted uh, one or two years. And we now see IPOs since 2012 for biotech companies with a significant number of IPOs in, in every year. And I think that's driven really by the overall success of the industry. The number of product approvals uh, about tripled uh, over that period of time. Uh, the FDA is really positive these days. So the public markets recognize that and they really see the, the value in this industry. Well, Christiana, I wanted to ask you then, if you have a, a huge breakthrough development like the Second Oncology Impact Fund, even even following as it does a, a, a very successful first iteration, does that tell us then something, again, if we take a step back, to where we are on the road to mainstreaming sustainable impact investments? I mentioned an inflection point in my question to Ansbert, but do you feel like that's where we are You know, with with your sort of investment hat on? answer it's pretty modest about it but he actually invented when he started mpm capital the first dedicated biotech venture capital firm and of course now that's standard for the industry everyone's a specialist and there's no way around it because the uh, requirements for investing in this industry are so complicated but back then in 1992 it was a new idea now again i would say this is a new idea we're really turning the corner and i think going forward sustainability and impact are gonna be a theme that are common to all investment funds going forward. And the main reason that Antonia mentioned is because our clients demand it. They really want that to be an equal part of the vision. And as well, they want us to accomplish that without sacrificing their financial returns. Antonia, let me just ask you this question then. If we look forwards about some other areas, themes that might be next from an impact investment perspective. You know, on this program, we talk a lot about the big secular themes that are shaping our times, things like climate, developments in green tech, healthcare, of course, other more abstract themes, inclusion and so forth. I, I just wondered what your sense is of what might be next in terms of impact investing. 
from a long-term investment perspective, we do see a great potential in solutions for the climate transition that you mentioned. So that includes green technologies in clean air and carbon reduction, in energy efficiency, in smart mobility. We also believe investors and companies are increasingly focused on health and well-being solutions on diversity and equality. But we are also excited about opportunities coming within the education technologies, within food and agriculture, which we believe also lend themselves to really impactful breakthroughs and would benefit from catalytic private capital. Absolutely. Well, on that theme of what's next, and perhaps we can get a quick thought from each of you here as we uh, tick towards the end of our time. What are the limits on where this can go? And, and Ansbert, maybe I'll come to you first of all. I, I thought Christiana made a good point to point out your sort of storied history in, in the business going back, what, uh, three decades or so nearly now. What are the limits on where this can all go? Is the only thing actually that, that puts a restriction on it the scale of our collective ambition in this space? I would agree that uh, we, we are not at the limit yet. I mean, there are entire other areas that we can cover over time. Uh, just to mention two, uh, one, virology. I mean, through the pandemic, viral diseases are, are really on everybody's mind. And it's not just pandemics, but it's also diseases that affect many, many people like hepatitis B, still HIV, etc., etc. But then there are also other big areas where we don't today really have as much opportunities and tools yet as in oncology, like CNS. I mean, Alzheimer's disease is a, is a huge problem. It's just, from my perspective, the science on those in those CNS areas is 10 to 20 years behind where we are in oncology. Now, it won't take 20 years to catch up because innovation is really rapidly increasing. But I would think that in a few years, CNS is probably another area where we can see major breakthroughs and make a big difference. Well, yeah, for sure. Let's hope so. Christiana, just to you, I, I know we sort of touched on this already, but do, do you see... I, I don't know, more more humps in the road, more resistance ahead? Or do you think, as Ansbert said, actually, there's so much potential here? Yeah, no, I mean, I see us potentially in the future launching impact funds across other therapeutic areas as well. But with the same criteria as Ansbert mentioned earlier, where we see unmet need together with the key innovation happening at that time. So we have great ambitions for our impact. We think that we can, again, have our cake and eat it too. And we hope to be creating greater access and scientific innovation as part of our goal to amplify our impact. And Antonia, perhaps just a last word to you. I mean, presumably this narrative, we reflected already on this idea that it aligns very closely with the very clear ambitions and objectives of clients of UBS. Presumably that only becomes even more entrenched, that position, particularly as, you know, more millennials are making these kinds of investment decisions. We know they're even more connected to II and sustainable themes. Does this just become... It stops being a conversation about the mainstreaming of it. It becomes the de facto position, right? Do you just see that continuing with alacrity? Yes, definitely. I think we all recognize by now that we are witnessing a fundamental shift towards a more sustainable, more equitable economy overall. And, and the pandemic, as we mentioned, has only exacerbated the challenges that we face in, in environmental and social issues. But I think what's also important is that increasingly, governments, investors, and consumers realize that sustainability is here to stay. It is a secular trend. And at the same time, that impact investing is still investing. We keep coming back to this. But here we're talking about the ability to multiply capital, 
and deliver investment performance, which means that more individuals and families in the future, at least in our view, would prefer to invest sustainably across their entire wealth. And that would come above and beyond what they already do with philanthropy, right? This would allow them to really drive that scale behind those impactful opportunities. So for instance, you know, one of the things that we've been advocating for is for private clients to take a diversified portfolio approach to sustainable and impact investing across multiple asset classes. And this would allow them to get the benefit of conventional portfolio management approaches, but also a fundamental focus on sustainability, which we believe really is ultimately what's going to unlock a lot of the potential behind sustainable and impact investing in the future. Antonia Sarieska there, wrapping up this special edition of The Bulletin with UBS here on Monocle 24. You can listen again as ever and find out more at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.